Let us pray. Father, we love you and thank you and ask that your praises would be made known to all the earth, that in every corner of this globe, men and women, boys and girls would bow the knee to our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the universe and the Lord of lords. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, our God, according to your grace. Amen. Again, thank you all uh, for being here with us today. This is a very special day of uh, ordination, an ordination Sunday in which we uh, will commission these uh, men to serve the church and to serve all of you. Um, in, um, in honor of this occasion, I've written a sermon that I hope will bless not only them, but all of you. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And uh, we'll begin reading uh, with the first verse and down to uh, verse 13. So now hear God's word from 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came out to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, this is a very special day in the life of our church. Uh, and especially in the life of these men and their families. Um, as they enter these offices of both elder and deacon, 
uh, their lives, your lives, brothers, will change. And also, the lives of your congregation uh, will change. Our, all of our lives will change because these men will now be our leaders. In the Bible, there's a lot of these significant ordinations or anointings, uh, if you will, for a special call to service. And this one is perhaps the most famous, the call of, of uh, Samuel and God upon the life of King David. Uh, one scholar that I read, an Old Testament scholar, said that the Bible, the Old Testament in particular, can be divided into two halves. And that all of the Bible is written upon these two halves. I think it's quite a statement, but I, I kind of agree with him. That all of the Old Testament is, is about ramping up and, and getting us to David the king, the king of Israel. And then the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament is ramping down in the failures of David's heirs and sons until you get to the New Testament and then the true son is revealed. The true and living son of David, who of course is our Lord Jesus Christ. This ordination of King David tells us, I think, some significant things that not only we as a congregation need to know, but you men that are standing for ordination need to understand as well. And I'm going to go through them quickly. Uh, so this morning what we're going to look at are three things. The people's king. The people's king. Secondly, God's king. And finally, the eighth son. So we'll look at the, God's ki- we'll look at the people's king, God's king, and finally the eighth, uh, the eighth son. The people's king is Saul. In verse 1, uh, it says, The Lord says to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king? If you remember the story, the, the nation was in disarray. Much like our own world today. Countries are in flux and people are confused. They don't know what to do, who to vote for, what's going on in our world. And that's what... Israel was like at this time. It was very uncertain. And the people demanded a leader. They wanted a strong leader. And so in chapter 8, they come to Samuel and they say to Samuel, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Now we often are told, I think wrongly, that God never wanted them to have a king. But that's not true. In the book of Deuteronomy... Moses laid out very specifically that there would be a king, but it would be God's choice when and where and who to give them this king. And instead of being patient and waiting for God's king, the people went to the prophet Samuel, who at that time was the judge over the nation, and they demanded that he appoint for them a king. And Samuel, later on in chapter 8, Samuel told them, don't do it. And they insisted they would not listen. So later on in chapter 8, he said this, In the day, in that day, once you get the king you want, in that day you'll cry out because of your king whom you've chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer. People refuse to obey Samuel. No, there shall be a king over us. We also, that we also may be like all the nations. Our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Saul became the people's choice. He became the people's choice for king. He was a, a, a huge man, probably well over six feet tall. He was a very honorable man. He gets bad 
a bad press in the Bible because he makes a lot of mistakes and he's a big failure at the end. But the, but the fact of the matter is he was a great and good man, a good king at the beginning of his reign. He was tall, he was handsome, he was mighty, but he was ultimately rejected because there was something wrong inside of him. And we'll, t- we'll look at that in a minute. You see, the tendency for all of us And I'm saying all of us, and and I, I mean this very sincerely, our tendency is to look to the out, outside, to look outward, to look on the, on the appearance. How, how tall, how strong, how mighty, how much money do they have? What are their gifts? Do they have all of the gifts that are necessary to do this particular job? And we focus on the outside. We look at giftedness what the person is capable of doing, their giftedness, what they're capable of doing. We look at that long before we consider the character or who that person is. And we've been talking about this for weeks. We want want to see, are they gifted first? Then figure out if they're the right person, if they have the character, instead of the other way around looking at their character and then, and then trusting or hoping at least that they will have the giftedness or that God will give them the giftedness. We get them completely backwards. And that's what happened in the case of Saul. They asked for a king like all the nations. So Samuel went out and picked a king that would, would have met that criteria. He was taller. He stood head and shoulders above everybody. Well, of course you want a king like that. He came from a wealthy family, from a prosperous family. He had all the political connections. His, uh, his uncle Abner was in charge of the military. There was all kinds of amazing political connections. He had all the goods, all the giftedness to be a great king. But he lacked something inside. Something that every one of you men is going to have to dig down deep and find that thing that character, who you are. And I would say that every one of you, if you call yourself a Christian, you say, I'm a Christian. If it's just on the surface, folks, it means absolutely nothing. It's just religion. It means nothing. Anybody can be a good person. In fact, there are non-Christians that are better people than you. They're more moral. They're more upstanding. They do better things than you. They serve the country better than you, serve the world better than you. And they don't even believe in Jesus. But we, we say, oh, I'm a Christian. But then nothing happens. No different. There's no transformation inside of our hearts. And so to be a true Christian, something different is about us. And I've been telling you for weeks and, of course, ramping up to this wonderful service today, who you are, gentlemen, and who you are, people of Christ the King, who you are, is more important than what you do. Because who you are ultimately will determine what you do. It'll determine what kind of person you are. If you get those backwards, then you're just, Saul, you're just King Saul. And you're headed for failure. You're headed for schizophrenia, a break in the mind that Saul had. He became paranoid, schizophrenic. He became wildly violent and hateful and confused about everything. And I think that's what happens to us as Christians when we focus just on our our work, our effort, our merit before God. Look how good I'm doing. Look what a good person I am. You know, God's not impressed with our goodness, folks. Let me tell you something. He has seen good. 
He has already seen good. He saw great. He saw his son walk this earth and do everything perfectly. So if we come to God and we hold out our good works and say, oh, look how, my, look how I'm serving the church. What an elder, what a good elder I am. Look what a good deacon I am. Look at what a good church member I give this much money. God is not impressed with that. But if you come to God with Jesus Christ in your hand and look at my Savior, Lord God, look at who I have, look at who is mine and whom I belong to, then God just, I mean, He lights up because He wants you to be in Christ and Christ to be in you. Yes? Do you see that? If it's all about your works, if it's all about your efforts and how good you're doing, then you just become Saul. But if inside you're transformed, inside you're a different person, if Jesus Christ truly gives you new birth and you're born again, then something extraordinary happens. You actually become a Christian and you can make a real difference in the world. Let's look at God's king. This is just the second part of the first verse. We'll look at some of the other verses in just a moment. But Samuel, tell, God tells Samuel this, I have provided for myself a king among his sons. He's telling Samuel, I've done something already, and all I want you to do is go and recognize what I have already done. I have seen, I have provided for myself. In fact, the word in Hebrew is... Uh, uh, it's, it's ra'ah, I, I don't want to get into Hebrew grammar, but it's ra'ah, and it means, what it means is to see, but to see in a different way. It means to see too, or to accomplish, or to actually do something. In other words, when God sees in this way, He's not merely observing, but He's actually doing something. Like somebody tells you, will you go over here and do this? And you say, yes, I'll see to it. I'll go do it. That's what this word means. It means that I will see to it. It means the ESV translation, which many of you have this morning in, your, in the bulletin insert and actually have the Bible, the ESV, they actually translate it very well. They put in there provided rather than just see optically to see. I have provided myself a king among his sons. You see, if you look down at verse 6, look at what Samuel does. When they came... Samuel looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks, same word, ra'ah, the Lord looks, He sees to it, He transforms, He provides the man after His own heart. Now, I know this is maybe a little hard to grasp, folks, because we're so used to thinking that seeing is merely observing with the eyes. It's just looking and seeing, like I see Jeff or I see Rick. And we make the mistake of thinking that God sees differently. In other words, he can see not just Jeff, but he can look all the way down into the center of Jeff's heart. Right? That's what we think the word see in this particular thing means. It means that God has the ability to look deeper into Rick's heart than I can or we can. So don't look at the outward appearance. 
God doesn't look at the outward. He looks deeper. He looks down into the heart. But if you see it that way, then all God becomes is just a deeper seer than you. He just can see deeper than you. He knows a little bit more than you. And this word conveys way more than that. God's seeing is purposeful. It's active. It's transformational. You see, when he saw David, he didn't just see David when he saw him uh, taking care of the sheep. He didn't see David when David was just a younger boy with his harp or with his guitar or with his flute, whatever you believe David had that he played. Uh, He didn't just see David when he was a little child running around, you know, chewing on a stick and, and chasing goats. He saw David in his mother's womb. He knit David's life together from the very beginning. Before he was born, he was formed and shaped and knit together. And this should be very encouraging to you and especially to you men. God did not choose you to be officers in this church because you have more character than anybody out here in the congregation. He didn't choose you because you're better. He He did choose me because I'm better. Of course, he doesn't choose us according to how we are He provides for it. He makes us who we are. And if any of you have, uh, just take take, take, take 30 minutes and sit down quietly, turn off all the electronic devices in your life, turn off all the noise and just get quiet and think of your journey through life. Think of where you've been. I don't care how young or old you are. Even young people can do this. Think of your journey, your steps, even your missteps, even the mistakes you've made. Think of how God has woven you together, your personality, all the things about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything. He does not throw anything away and He does not turn His face away from anything. He doesn't hold His nose at anything. He doesn't hold His nose at your sin. He doesn't turn away from your sin. In fact, when we sin, I would argue He draws in closer. He grabs us with arms of love. He draws us in and pulls us tight to Him. He won't let us go. We can struggle and kick and thrash like a child not wanting the love of their parent, but He will not let you go. Otherwise, how do you account for you ever coming back to Him? Is it just your goodness, just your character? I'm a good person. I come back to Jesus. I know how to repent. No, he goes and tracks us down. He never lets us go. Even on our worst day, while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. And that's what you men have to understand. That on your worst day, Jesus loved you. On your worst day, he died for you. On your worst day, he knit you together in your mother's womb for this day so that you could be equipped and come here to this church and so that you could be the man you are with character. All of those things shaped you. And all we do, we do not make deacons and we don't make elders. All we do is recognize the work of God. That's all God wanted Samuel to do. He wanted him to go to Bethlehem And he said, I'm going to parade these guys out in front of you and I'll tell you which one I have provided. The one I have formed. The one I have shaped. The one I have put together in his mother's womb. He will come before you. That's the one you anoint with oil. That's the one you ordain. That should be a great comfort to you. Men, you don't have to live up to anything. If you think I've got to live up 
to some standard to be an officer in Christ's church. If those of you here today, if you think I've got to live up to some standard in order to be a Christian, you are going to fail and you're going to hate your Christianity. It's going to be awful. But if you see your Jesus, your Savior, the blessed one who loves you, living up for you, it will change everything about you. It'll change the way you look at sin. It won't make you more sinful. It'll make you less sinful. It won't make you more uh, 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 taking advantage of God's grace. It'll make you more appreciative of God's grace. When you sing Amazing Grace, you won't be able to do it with a dry eye because you'll think, my God, how could he ever love one like me? How could he ever love somebody like David? If you know David's story, you know he failed. The difference between him is when he failed, he turned to God. Every time Saul failed, he blamed God. And that was the difference between these two men. It wasn't that Saul didn't have any character. It was that it hadn't been provided. He wasn't part of his, his knitting together. And that's the story of David and Saul is not be like David and don't be like Saul. The story of David and Saul, the story of David and Goliath, the story of David in general is, who is the true king? And what is he like? And when you find the true king and you find out what he's like, you find out it's not just David, it's David's son. It's David's son. God sees he's active. People look merely on the superficial They look for outward giftedness and then hope for character. And that's why we've got such rotten politicians, by the way, folks, is because we look for giftedness. Who's got the the goods? Who can really bring it home for us? And then we hope they have character. But you find a leader that has character and the giftedness will follow. You can always hire somebody that knows how to type if you don't know how to type. Right? But if you don't have character, you can't buy enough typewriters or computers. They don't make typewriters anymore. See how old I am? Yeah, amen. Thanks a lot. <laughs> it's one of our new officers chiding me from the front row. <laughs> God makes. He provides His king. He shapes them. People choose. Listen. People choose and then cross their fingers and hope the person turns out okay. God sees to it. And then when the time comes, He ordains the one He sought to. God's choice is character. Who before what? He can always change the what's. But who, who you are, that takes a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit. We call it the new birth. And what did Jesus say? Unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even comprehend it. You, can't, you won't ever see it in eternity, but you can't even comprehend it now unless you're born again. And that's something that only God can do. You can't born again yourself. It's impossible. He must do that. He must take the initiative. He must make you come from death to life. He must breathe ruh into your lungs like he did Adam, the first man, and then Adam became a living soul. He does that again in the new birth. He gives you new life. He breathes life into you and you become a living soul. David was the man that God made. And success, gentlemen, for you as officers and all of us as Christians, success in your Christianity 
is not your character, but the character of your king and the, and the degree to which you put your dependence upon that great king. Trusting that he will shape your character, that he will grant you gifts when and where and how you need them. If you put all your trust, all your faith in Jesus Christ and his character and his whoness, that changes who you are. And Christianity can become a joy and a delight instead of the burdensome religion that so many people say, like, oh my gosh, I, don't want, I have enough problems in my life Would I want to become a Christian. I'm not crazy. Why would you want to become a Christian? But if you see it this way, if you look at the gospel in this way, it can change who you are. How do we do it? We look at the eighth son. This is the whole point of this story. The eighth son See, Jesse had seven sons. He had more. He had an eighth son. But seven was a perfect number. In fact, if you were uh, a Hebrew and you had seven sons, you were somebody. I mean, people would, would, would you know, speak your name with reverence. Wow, they've got seven sons. He may have had daughters. He may actually have had more sons. But he had seven, and that perfect number meant Jesse was somebody. And these boys, if you read the rest of Samuel, you find out that they were all big and strapping and strong. They were all warriors. In fact, they fought in the war against Goliath. Actually, they didn't. They were cowering in fear uh, when Goliath showed up. But they were all big, strapping warriors, handsome, really amazing men. You find out that even some of David's brothers became some of his mighty men who, who fought in his little cohort of bodyguards. It's quite a story. But Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? Verse 11. He, he, he rolled out all the seven sons in front of, in front of Samuel the prophet and, and God said, none of these. And so Samuel's going, what is going on? Did I miss this? Have, have I made a mistake? So he says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And he says, yes, I have one more. There remains, listen to this, there remains the youngest now this word, the youngest in English, does not carry the weight that it does in Hebrew. In Hebrew, it's hakatan. And what it means is, yes, I have one more. He's the smallest. He's the weakest. He's the least. He's the insignificant one. He's the one we don't invite. In fact, behold, he's out there watching the sheep. He's doing the lowliest job in the family. While my other sons are all in the military, and they're not just... Enlisted, they're officers, they're big shots, they're out there, no offense to you big shots in the military. Uh, I mean, they're somebodies, they're warriors, you understand? And here he is, he's watching the sheep, he's the least, he's the last, he's the smallest. That's what this word youngest means. That's the, uh, it, it's, 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 it's meant to be said with, eh, he's, he's really nothing. He's the least significant. You've seen my best. He's not counted among the seven the best. And Samuel said, call him as well. And what do you think happens? God chooses the least, the last, the uninvited, the small, the weak, the one that was handsome, he was kind of a good looking, you know, just not somebody that you would be, that was fierce looking, not somebody that was, that you would be afraid of when you looked at. God chooses him. 
Listen, folks, and especially you men that are standing for office, to what Paul said. Consider, brothers, your calling. This goes for all of us in this room. Consider your calling. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now we're getting to the heart of it. See, He's saying, All of us, we have no claims. We cannot come to God with all our money, all our millions, all our tens and twenties, whatever it happens to be, uh, with, with our kids, with our good life, with our perfect morality, with all. We can't come to Him and say, look... Look at my birth, look at how many people in my family uh, are noble and royal and wonderful. No, we can't come with anything. Because of him, you are in Christ now, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you see it's not about us? It's about Him. And where are you? You're in Him. And that's where you get your identity, who you are. And from your identity, that's what creates the impetus or the movement, the inertia for what you do. When you sin, and don't raise your hands because we don't want to embarrass you, but when you sin, does it bother you? Does it bother you? Don't raise your hands because we don't want to embarrass anybody. It bothers me when I sin. Why? Is it because I'm a good person? Is it because I've got really good character and I know right from wrong? I'll tell you why. It's because the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, is jumping up and down and saying, no, no, no. I have to even give Him credit for that. Now that, folks, is freeing. And that men will make you great officers of this church. If you can look on the wounds and the hurts of your sheep, the people that God has put under your care, if you can look at our hearts and our souls and see that we're struggling just like everyone, we need help. We need a hand of compassion. We need the eighth son. We need the one who on the cross went to in weakness, in shame, in insignificant. They laughed at him in scorn. They said, oh, if you're the son of God, come down. He had truly had noble birth. He could have come down. He had power. He could have said no. He had everything he needed. He had riches, but he came, became poor for our sakes that we might know what it is to be rich, truly rich, not just money, but having him. He became naked so that we could be clothed, not with clothes like this fancy robe. No, not like that, but with robes of righteousness, his own robes of righteousness. Do you see the difference? When that becomes, when that feels the windshield of your life, men, then you can become an officer of the church that can truly serve the people of God. We choose 
In the Presbyterian church, we choose the least, the last, the most insignificant. If you see yourselves like that, you'll be great officers. You become like the eighth son. You become like your savior. And that's what we want, folks. We want our great king. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're so grateful that you gave your best son. We only saw the eighth son. We had no idea what we were looking at when he stepped onto this earth. And even today, Father, we struggle. We think that people with gifts and power and might and strength are the ones that are going to save us, but they can't save us. Only you can save us. And we pray, Holy Father, that you will fill us and this church with the kind of of, uh, dependence upon you that will make us truly different. And we ask that you would do that, Father, and especially for these men who have stepped forward, uh, have been duly elected by your congregation, have gone through the training necessary, who understand your gospel. We pray for these men who will serve you. And we pray that we will all shine as lights to this dark and dying world and be salt and light and bring glory to our Savior Jesus, the eighth son who became the firstborn among many brethren. We thank you in his blessed name. Amen.